morning, Africa, and welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Vungani in Washington. Today is Friday, April the 8th, and here are some of the stories we're covering for you this morning. An explosion in a military camp in Goma in the Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo kills eight people and wounds three more. There was an explosion this night at 7 p.m. local time in a bar inside the military camp of Goma in Katindo neighborhood. That is reporter Jaffa Alcatante in Goma. And Ethiopia's government says it will examine a scathing report by international rights groups that accuses its military and allied forces of gross rights abuses in the Tigray region. The ministry said Ethiopia is committed to holding accountable all those responsible for violations of human rights and humanitarian law. Gilmo Dawit reports from Addis Ababa. And Somalia's top leaders are at odds again after Prime Minister Mohamed Hussein Roble orders the expulsion of an African Union envoy hard criticizing the Prime Minister on a leaked audio file. We have those stories plus sports coming up right here on Daybreak Africa. Stay tuned. And for our top story, an explosion in a bar at a military camp in the Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo killed eight people and wounded three more on Thursday. That is according to Congo's government spokesman, Patrick Muyaya. In a tweet, he said that the cause of the incident at Katindo camp in the city of Goma was not yet clear, but that investigations are still underway. For an update on the situation, I reached reporter Jaffa Alcatante in Goma. There was an explosion this night at 7 p.m. local time in a bar inside the military camp of Goma in Katindo neighborhood. And eight people were killing and others injured. No one knew about what was happening. Uh, the first information was about a soldier who was inside with his grenade. But now some people are thinking about a terrorist attack as you know, ADF are operating in North Kivu province. But this uh, can be the first ADF attack in the city of Goma. And now we don't have many information because army and police are controlling the area and no one can know about what happened till tomorrow morning because this is night and the city is quieted. And as you know, we are under the state of siege. Transports are not used at this moment. What can you tell us about this uh, Katindo military camp where the blast happened? As Katindo camp is based in Goma, many people, locals of Goma, also stay in the camp with military, doing trading, build small business of beer and corn and roasted meat something like that. And this is a danger for locals because the city is on alert as there is M23 war just some kilometers north of Goma and ADF in the north of North Kivu. Anything can happen against the military and civilians are exposed. But at this moment, we can't know exactly what was it. We just know that it was a uh, an explosion, but which explodes and who was the guy who had the bomb, no one knows. We still wait for the statement from authorities as 
soldiers and police are in, investigating the area. We will know more in a couple of hours. That was reporter Jafal Alcatante. I reached him in Goma in the eastern DRC. Ethiopia's government says it will carefully examine a scathing report by international rights groups that accuses its military and allied forces of gross rights abuses in the Tigray region. But it's also pouring doubt on the report, which alleges ethnic cleansing, war crimes and crimes against humanity as having ethnic undertones and being one-sided. Gilmo Dawit reports from Addis Ababa. Through its Ministry of Foreign Affairs, Ethiopia issued a statement on report and said it will carefully examine the rights violation allegedly committed in western part of Tigray. The ministry said Ethiopia is committed to holding accountable all those responsible for violations of human rights and humanitarian law. It said an interministerial task force is expected to examine the report and will give it due consideration. But Ethiopia also criticized the joint report from Amnesty International and Human Rights Watch for only blaming the Ethiopian government for violations allegedly recorded in Western Tigray. The two rights groups released a detailed report on the situation in Western Tigray on Wednesday. According to the report, newly appointed officials of the area and authorities from neighboring Amhara region acting with the acquiescence and the possible participation of Ethiopian federal forces, systematically expelled several hundred thousand Tigrayan civilians from their homes using threats, unlawful killings, sexual violence, mass detention, pillage, forcible transfer under the denial of humanitarian assistance. The rice groups say the report is based on interviews with over 400 residents of Western Tigray. Kenneth Roth. Executive Director of Human Rights Watch says Amara officials and security forces have engaged in a relentless campaign of ethnic cleansing to force Tigrayans in Western Tigray from their homes. He also blamed the Ethiopian authorities for denying the crime and failing to address it. The report also indicates the Amara forces have expelled ethnic Tigrayans from accessing their farmlands, homes and even humanitarian support. Unable to survive, said the report, many ethnic Tigrayans left the area. The report also covered the alleged Tekase River Bridge killing. Witnesses say Amara forces known as the Fano executed more than 60 Tigrayans in the town of Adigoshu in January 2021. The detailed report also found evidence of death in detention facilities across western Tigray and gang rape by security forces. In Wednesday's report, both Amnesty International and Human Rights Watch asked the Ethiopian government to bring all those implicated in the report to justice. They have also called on the government to release detainees in western Tigray, demobilize abusive forces operating there and make the region more accessible to humanitarian aid. Galmodawit for VOA News, Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. Somalia's top leaders are at odds again after Prime Minister Mohamed Hussein Roble ordered the expulsion of an African Union envoy hard criticizing the Prime Minister on a leaked audio file. President Mohamed Abdullahi Mohamed has called the expulsion an illegal action. Analysts say the latest standoff between the leaders could further destabilize Somalia as long-delayed elections are wrapping up. Ahmed Mohamed reports from Mogadishu. The announcement by Prime Minister Mohamed Hussein Roble that the African Union's top official in Somalia, Ambassador Francisco Madeira, was no longer welcome in the country has sparked another dispute between the Prime Minister and the President. Roble accused Madeira of engaging in acts that are incompatible with his status. 
But in a sharp rejoinder, the president's dismissed Robles' order as an illegitimate and reckless decision, noting it had not received any complaints against the AU official. Robles' decision was linked to a leaked audio files in which the AU envoy is purportedly heard accusing the prime minister of ganging up with the opposition to prevent the re-election of President Mohamed Abdullahi Mohamed, also known as Farmajo. In the lead audio, the ambassador also says the prime minister and the opposition leaders used the death of a former member of parliament, Amina Mohammed, who was killed in a car bomb explosion for political ends against Parmajo. Samira Gade is executive director of Hiral Institute, a Mogadishu-based security research group. Gade said that regardless of how the power struggle turns out, Madeira's days in Somalia are numbered. It is a very ugly state of affairs at the moment. This nastiness is not normal for the diplomatic circles. Uh, I don't think we hear this kind of language when we think about diplomats and how they engage. I think the the two the letters from the office of the president and the previous one from the office of the prime minister aside, I don't expect the AU to maintain Ambassador Madeira in Somalia following this uh, revelations, seeing as he's lost uh, you know the confidence of the prime minister and a huge section of Somali society. Critics of the Prime Minister's move say the decision to declare Madeira persona non garanta was uncalled for and against regular procedure. Professor Abdiwahab Abdisamet is the chairperson of the Institute for Horn of Africa Strategic Studies. What Robert Dow now is doing and opposition is uncalled for and totally unacceptable. The Ministry of Foreign Affairs, they fa- in fact, they refuse even you know, you know, to comment the issue because the right process is the Minister of Foreign Affairs, if you have any complaint, any you know, malpractices, they must forward the whole issue to the head of the state, and head of the state has to endorse it. Coming in the wake of increased attacks by the militant group Al-Shabaab targeting Somali's ongoing elections, the removal of Madeira and a fresh fallout between the president and the prime minister could adversely worsen the security situation in the country. Only two weeks ago, more than 50 people were killed by Ashabab attacks in Mogadishu and the central Somalia town of Baladwin. If expelled, Ambassador Madeira could be the third senior foreign diplomat to be thrown out of Somalia in recent years. Last November, Madeira's deputy, Simon Mulongo, was shown the door, while the then UN envoy, Nicholas Heysam, was expelled barely three months into his job in January 2019. Ahmed Mohammed for VOA News, Mogadishu, Somalia. The break Africa continues. The president of the Democratic Republic of Congo, Felix Tshisekedi, and his Kenyan counterpart, Today, Friday, will sign the Treaty of Accession by Democratic Republic of Congo to the East African community at the State House in Nairobi. The two heads of state will then unveil the new map of the East African community. Maureen Ojambo has more on this story. The Democratic Republic of Congo was officially admitted into the East African community last week during the 19th Extraordinary Summit of the East African Heads of States. The chair of the ESC Summit of Heads of State Kenya's President Uhuru Kenyatta announced the DRC admission to the community during the virtual meeting. And I indeed look forward to the signing of the Treaty of Accession of the Democratic Republic of Congo into the East African community before the stated date 
of the 14th of April, 2022. And indeed, we all look forward to working together with you for the peace, security, and stability of all the people of the East African region. The admission of the DRC makes it the seventh member state of the East African community. The heads of state from ESC partner states are in Nairobi to witness the signing of the treaty. So is President Felix Shisekedi. The DRC is required to deposit the instruments of ratification with the Secretary General before the 29th of September. Peter Maduki is the Secretary General of the East African Community. The summit decided to admit the Democratic Republic of Congo as a full member of the East African Community. The summit designated His Excellency President Uhuru Kenyatta, the chairperson of the summit, to sign the Treaty of Accession of the, of the Democratic Republic of Congo into the East African Community. Thereafter, the Democratic Republic of Congo shall be required to deposit the instruments of ratification. The signing of the treaty and the official admission of DRC comes with the increased GDP and expanded market size. It makes the East African community a home to about 300 million people, which would be mutually beneficial to the people of both East African community and DRC by providing employment and investment opportunities. President Kenyatta says the community is looking forward to having a more strengthened relationship. I proudly and warmly welcome our brothers and sisters from the Democratic Republic of Congo to the East African community, and we look forward to joining hands in strengthening our community together. Working together, we have more to gain than when we are separate. The DRC will now take part in all of the sectors, programs, and activities of the East African community. Reporting for VOS Daybreak Africa, I am Moreno Jembo. The European Union's rights envoy has condemned human rights abuses in Uganda. Imon Gilmo is calling on the Ugandan government to stop the torture of detainees and other human rights violations. Reporter Mugume Davis Rwakarenji has more from Kampala in Uganda. In his address to the media, after meeting with Ugandan President Yoweri Museven, Imon Gilmo, the European Union's rights envoy, said he conveyed his concerns to President Yoweri Museven. Uh, about uh, people being tortured uh, in uh, uh, detention and the necessity to, uh, to end uh, that uh, practice. Also the necessity uh, to bring to account uh, those who have been responsible uh, for, uh, for torture. Enforced disappearances, arbitrary arrests, extrajudicial uh, killings, uh, the use of uh, so-called safe uh, houses, Gilmo said he asked the Ugandan government to investigate and punish those involved in human rights violations. The Human Rights Watch report, released in March, detailed various forms of abuses in Uganda, including attacks on journalists and opposition leaders. The report detailed many former detainees that have been tortured and abused while in detention. On the issue of uh, torture and the treatment of people in detention, I've been on the public record um, expressing his opposition to, to torture. Um, uh, despite that, however, as I understand that the practice has, con- has, uh, has continued and we still have an issue regarding accountability for uh, the practice of torture uh, in, uh, in the past. While addressing the Geneva Summit for Human Rights and Democracy this week, Ugandan opposition leader Robert Chagrani, popularly known by his stage name Bobby Wine, said he had been tortured by government security personnel before and during his campaign for president.
They did not kill me, but they tortured me to near death. I was detained in a military base for several days. Not even my family knew where I was. I later learned that people protested in very many parts of the world calling for my release. And for this, I am forever grateful because if it was not for that pressure, I'm sure I would not be alive. Livingstone Sewanyana is the founder and executive director of the Foundation of Human Rights Initiative. He welcomed the European Union's stance on the situation in Uganda. He, however, says there must be what he says is a political will to fight abuses. The European Union, like other players, are external actors. They are not the primary actors. And as such, much as they can show concern, author reports and condemn violations of human rights in Uganda, the primary responsibility lies on the Ugandan government and its institutions. Gilmo said the European Union Human Rights Body will not hesitate to recommend sanctions on Ugandan officials as a way to prevent further violations. For VOA News, I am Mugume, Davis Rwakarinjini Kampala, Uganda. Malawi's Attorney General has apologized for police detaining a journalist and trying to force him to reveal his sources on a government corruption story. The rare public apology came after the government faced criticism from advocates for press freedom. Lamek Masina has more from Blantyre. At the Media Institute for Southern Africa in Malawi, Misa Malawi, says Attorney General Tabo Chakaka Nirenda offered an apology Wednesday during a meeting at his office in the capital, Lilongwe. Teresa Ndanga's chairperson for Misa Malawi, a media freedom watchdog group. During that meeting, the Attorney General expressed his uh, apologies. He sent his apologies to the journalists. He sent his apologies to MISA and he sent his apologies to the media industry in Malawi. And he agrees that the arrest uh, was not right. Police picked up journalist Grigory Gondwe, who works for the Platform for Investigative Journalism, on Tuesday after Attorney General Chakaka Nyrenda said he would take action against those who leaked a document which Gondwe used in his story published on March 13. The document appeared to show Nyrenda allowing the government to make payments to the corruption suspect Zoneth Satam. That move runs counter to Nyrenda's actions in January when he publicly terminated all Satam's contracts with the government and restricted any payment on the same. During the interrogation, Gondwe said police and successfully pressured him into revealing how and where he got the document. The journalist was released after four hours, following a local and international pressure on Malawi to let him go. The Attorney General told VOA Thursday that he apologized to fulfill his duty. Even though I was not aware of what happened to Mr. Gondwe, I did indicate that I'm a legal advisor to government and any issues that are legal in nature that come to me. So in that vein, whatever happened, I have to own it. In that vein, therefore, I also, because I'm owning it, I had the duty to apologize. Police said Wednesday that they did not actually arrest Gondwe, but only invited him for an interview as part of an investigation into an issue they declined to disclose. 
Gondwe said although police retained his equipment, some of the applications, contacts and information in his phone and computer had been tampered with. When the gadgets were with them, some sources and some people that I talked to were also sending messages and contacts, uh, which could as well uh, be a problem if we, they start suspecting that the people that were contacting me could be my sources. In a joint statement Tuesday, the U.S. and the British embassies in Malawi asked police to immediately retain the confiscated equipment and respect any private information found there. Mr. Malawi says in a statement that it is planning to meet the Inspector General of Police to ask authorities to never use any information extracted from Gondwe's equipment if the government's apology is to be taken seriously. Lamek Masina for VOA News, Blanta. Malawi. And now it's time for Daybreak Africa Sport. And for that, we go to Abuja, Nigeria with Samson O'Malley. Good morning to you, Samson. Good morning to you too, Jackson. We begin the sport with the news that former Manchester City and Switzerland midfielder Gilson Fernandez has been appointed FIFA's new director of member associations for Africa. Born in Cape Verde, Fernandez played his international football for Switzerland, first in the under-21 side and then 67 times for the senior national team. He is taking on a politically sensitive African role and will be tasked with strengthening the development of African associations through FIFA's forward program. In Namibia, the newly appointed FIFA CAF Normalization Committee for the Namibia Football Association has until the 30th of April 2023 to midwife a transition that will stabilize football administration in the Southern African country. The FIFA Council took the decision to appoint a normalization committee last week in Doha, Qatar during the 72nd Ordinary FIFA Congress. The committee's chairman is B.C. Uriab. The primary mandate of this committee, if I can put it very shortly, is to get football to be played by our youngsters. That is the primary. We want to engage with all the stakeholders. Uh, Again, as I said, the government, the clubs, the regional representatives, the sponsors, of course FIFA. So everybody, even those that I have not mentioned, everybody uh, would be be engaged. And then we will put in place what we have been asked to do. Staying with football news, Ghana's Vice President Mamudu Bawima says the newly introduced e-ticket system by the Ministry of Youth and Sport for football matches in the country will drastically reduce corruption and increase revenue in the sector. The e-ticketing platform was rolled out for the first time in last month's World Cup qualifier between Ghana and Nigeria at the Babayara Stadium in Kumasi. Speaking on the state of the economy at the National Tescan Conference on Thursday in Kasua, but we must say the e-ticketing platform will now be rolled out across all major stadia in Ghana. People who wanted to buy tickets could do so on their mobile phone. And there was no need to queue or waste time for tickets or to buy them from the black market. It was a pilot, but it was a very successful pilot. And guess what? It yielded the highest revenue of 1.423 million Ghana cities, the highest revenue for any football match in the history of Ghana. In athletics, 
The Athletics Kenya president, Jackson Tui, says only athletes who meet World Athletics requirement will be picked to represent the country at the World Championships in Oregon later in the year. The requirements states that athletes must have attended anti-doping seminars, three out of competition testing and qualifications standards for each event. And that's it on Daybreak Africa Sports. I am Samson Omale in Abuja, Nigeria. It's back to you, Jackson, in Washington. Thank you, Samson. And that's it for this edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for spending this morning with us. For more African news and features, visit our website at voanews.com. You can also connect with us on all social media platforms. We are on Facebook, we are on Twitter and Instagram. We are also on YouTube where you can watch our videos. Until next time, I'm Jackson Vunganyi in Washington wishing you a great weekend ahead, Africa.